Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. I am always looking for a great gift idea, and Coconut Personal Lubricants are always a huge hit for your partners and the perfect Valentine's Day gift. If you're making clean ingredient swaps, it is so important to make sure you are getting quality ingredients that are good for your body, inside and out. Coconut oil and water-based lubricants have the healthiest ingredients list I've seen. They use all natural ingredients, are cruelty-free, made in the USA, and their packaging is plastic-free. For an exclusive discount code, head to coconut.com. That is coconut without the T. And use code CARALYN15 for 15% off your order. That's K-A-R-A-L-Y-N-N-E-1-5. My code stacks with their on-site discounts. So order today and thank me tomorrow. Meg Kilcup is a doctor of pharmacy and an integrative health practitioner. In her career, she focused on patient safety. And through that journey across the micro and macro levels of the health system, she came to realize how much creating true and sustainable health is simply missed. While Western medicine has a time and a place, Meg spends her days now empowering people to get to the root cause of their symptoms and issues and create sustainable health with their lifestyle. Lifestyle foundations are critical when it comes to health, and there are also many incredible holistic options available to us. Meg owns her own health business now and lives in Washington with her husband and three boys. Thank you, Meg, so much for coming here today and being on the show. I'm actually really excited to talk to a pharmacist. I've never interviewed a pharmacist, so thanks for being here. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe your background in pharmacy? Sure. I, you know, when I was younger and in college, I thought, okay, I want to help people. I love chemistry and the idea of medicine but I really did not, I don't like blood and guts and and ended up being like, okay, pharmacy will be great for me. I can serve people and help people without having to touch them all the time. (laughs) So um, I got into pharmacy and went through my education and learned a ton in the process, but through my fourth year, you go through like training on site. And it was pretty shocking to me how many people were on just so many medications. And I felt like when I was in the pharmacy or in the hospital, I couldn't actually didn't have the time to truly help them. And they felt burdened by even keeping track. And there's just so many diagnoses, so many medications. And so I got interested in doing a residency in patient safety. And I was like, okay, it's going to be my goal to help people get off of all these medications if they can, because it's actually, it, it felt like to me, while in some cases it's helpful obviously in in many cases it was harming people and actually making their quality of life worse and so i ended up getting extra training in patient safety and i ended up working with um, like large clinical settings hospital settings with providers on making it so that care could actually help people create health (laughs) which is actually ironically really hard to do in the healthcare system Um, and so that's what kind of launched me on the trajectory I've been on today was just being in the depths of working with not only patients that were overwhelmed with their 15 medications and their 30 side effects, but at the same time, working on the macro level of the system 
that is very broken. There's a lot of good intent, great providers, but it's really, really broken at the same time. So so when you say it's broken, what do you mean by that? Well, it, it means that patients can get get lost in the midst of providers and referrals and one patient might be seeing, you know, this neurologist and this person for their cardiologist and they're their primary provider. And not all the people are talking together. Patients can get on multiple medications for the same purpose, or, you know, they might kind of not even know how to navigate, you know, who to talk to, to truly help them heal. Um, and then you also have kind of like insurance at play and financial bias at play where, you know, where ideally like a patient is the center of care, that's ideal. What can happen is kind of like guidelines can become the center of care and not necessarily tailored to an individual patient. So the system can, in my opinion, get in the way of, you know, really truly helping a patient, although that's not the intention. That makes sense. I actually experienced that this um, last month with my mom because she was here visiting And long story short, she had her endocrinologist prescribe something that for her type two diabetes, but then it wasn't doing well with her kidneys. And her kidney doctor was like, no, wait, that's the wrong medication. Her kidneys are having issues. So she shouldn't be on those uh, diabetic medicines. So it was like the endocrinologist wasn't talking with her kidney doctor. And so, yeah, I see how that can happen. So I'm curious when you were a pharmacist, were there any times that you could teach about healing or do pharmacists teach about healing or they just don't have time and they just have to give the prescription? You know, in my experience, there are some unique opportunities where pharmacists might be able to sit down with a patient and be like, okay, you have these medications for your diabetes. These are, you know, what you need right now, but in the long term, this is what can truly like get you off the medications, help you heal. But those are really unique and rare opportunities. I mean, pharmacists are trained to talk about how to take medications. Most pharmacists are trained, like, you know, obviously like you need to be compliant. Like this is, and many pharmacists approach it. Like this is kind of like what patients might need to take their whole life. And I think that can help in even with providers too. And doctors, the, the system can be very much focused on pharmaceuticals versus alternative like lifestyle (laughs) approaches to, to getting better. Okay. So let me ask you, what are your thoughts on using pharmaceuticals to heal? Because I talk a lot about healing. So is there a place for pharmaceuticals in healing? I think there is definitely a place in pharmaceuticals for certain people and certain types of healing, and maybe even for part of a journey. So, you know, I'm really passionate about creating health and using, you know, reducing stress, eating real food, exercise, all of these things can replace pharmaceuticals, whether it be for diabetes or for depression or for so many things. Right. However, I do think that it's not safe to say, you know, we should never use pharmaceuticals, of course, for acute care. I mean, that's definitely its own case where it's like, wow, pharmaceuticals, Western medicine. So, so, so great. I think that for, I just got a message from someone actually the other day that was like, thank you for saying this. Cause I think some people might even feel guilty if they have to take a pharmaceutical for a short time while they're on their trajectory of healing while they're on their path. Some people might not even, their body might truly need something even for a short term, but I truly believe that a lot of pharmaceuticals are not needed and it can be 
the go-to, I mean, I can give you an example from, from yesterday, well, three days ago, I went to see an ENT and cause I've had this ear sound and I'm like, what's going on. I just want to make sure I'm not going to lose hearing. And, you know, she's talking to me. She's like, I don't think it's anything serious, et cetera. And she's like, I can, you know, you can take amitriptyline, which is antidepressant. She's like, you can take an anti-seizure medication. So I could have walked out of that appointment with an ENT with a prescription for an antidepressant Wow. <laughs> that I don't need that those can cause all sorts of other side effects. Um, anti-seizure medication also could have too. And so I think what happens is, is people, whether it's an example like that or for their blood pressure or their cholesterol, they get put on a pharmaceutical when they could likely reverse their diagnosis or wherever their body is in their equilibrium, truly with just lifestyle. And there's so much power there. And there's only positive side effects to eating real food and to moving our body into sleeping, you know, enough, but there's so many damaging side effects of a lot of drugs, unfortunately. And it's just not really talked about and not really understood by most people why that happens, how that happens. So that's something that I'm really passionate about because I think a lot of people take them unnecessarily. And then their one pharmaceutical turns into three pharmaceuticals because they got new side effects and they're on five. And that's when patients get in a lot of trouble there. It can actually lead to kidney failure or things like that. Cause it just gets to be a lot for the body and, you know, not ideal. So I love that you said there is a time and a place for pharmaceuticals because I think too many people are like, oh, only pharmaceuticals or only alternative and lifestyle right. type things. And I think more of us, pharmacists, doctors, therapists, all of us need to come together and be like, look, there's right. a time and a place for both. And we need to yes. take the best of both worlds and combine them. And that's how we can best help people in their health. So thank yes. you for saying that as a pharmacist. I also want to talk to you about what you were talking about with people taking three pharmaceuticals or three drugs and then five, and it just becomes more and more. So I have a family member who believes that pharmaceuticals are completely safe, that the, you know, the FDA wouldn't allow them if they weren't safe. So she's right. now on 17 different ones. But like you said, there is a problem, right? Because one causes a side effect. So you take another one to counteract that side effect, and then you take another one to counteract that side effect, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so the issue is that these medications, something that I like to explain to people is when you hear on the TV or your doctor might say, well, you might experience side effects. I tend to call them expected effects because when you throw off a physiological process in your body with a chemical, a synthetic chemical, you're putting it in your body. Maybe your goal is to lower your blood pressure or to maybe you're wanting to lower your cholesterol. It's also going to do 100 other things in the body as you're taking that medication for the one issue. And so then, like we've said, we've created all these new issues within our body due to the medications that we're taking. And so to say they're safe, you know, that's actually one of the first things that got me interested in safety was I kept getting these emails from the FDA, drug recall, drug recall, drug recall. PPIs or, you know, stomach acid reducers can cause stomach cancer or antidepressants can cause increased thoughts of suicide, you know, things that were really shocking to me. And I thought, wow, I've been telling patients the last two years that, you know, this is safe and now we know it's not. And so what happens is those 
side effects or in my mind, expected effects, they are revealed over time. And the way we know that is by people taking them and then reporting what's happening to them, to their providers, their providers figuring it out. But there's not really a, a good system to figure that out. So it takes so many people taking them and it takes so much time to reveal all of these effects that impact our body. And then when you layer the physiological processes that are being interrupted by the 17 drugs that your family members on, you can only imagine that their body's equilibrium is so thrown off. And, and my guess is they're probably not feeling well. <laughs> you know, another layer to that is if we're potentially masking symptoms or covering them, we might not really be resolving the health issue in the first place. So maybe somebody really needs to lose weight and they have back pain from their weight and they're taking something to cover up their back pain. They're not ever really going to relieve themselves of that until they get to that root cause. So that's kind of another layer. I love that you talk about root cause because I talk about that quite often. And I think it's so important that we find the root cause of our issues because it's usually not just something is magically happening. It's because right. something has happened right. in the body that that symptom is happening. So yeah. what do you suggest to your followers and those that you work with to find their root cause? Yeah. You know, I think the first thing that I always recommend is just listening to your body. And that could be one of the first things that helps guide you to like, Oh, I'm associating this with that, or, you know, this feeling after this food or, things like that. Second of all, I think it's hard to really identify and get down to it unless you're working with a really good provider. Um, I don't think it's like you have to have a good provider to get to your root cause. I think a lot of people are self-learners and know how to adjust lifestyle and, you know, maybe it's elimination diet, all these things, but something about root cause that I think is so important. And that I'm glad that you mentioned is people can take all the same medication, but have like a thousand different root causes for why they're trying to take that pharmaceutical. So it's probably not going to work the same when all those people. So each person as an individual has to know likely what's going on in their body through labs and through testing and through specific targeted testing. I even say, and I love holistic remedies, but you don't even want to be blindly supplementing all these holistic supplements if you don't know what is causing your symptom in your body. So, you know, it's, I think it's kind of a joint effort. I think we are, obviously we know ourselves are the best. We get to heal ourselves. You know, we need to trust that within us, but working with someone to help you target, okay, what are my deficiencies? What am I missing in the foundations of health? What am I, maybe do I have allergies that I have no idea. There's people that have specific food allergies that are eating real food, but they're allergic to certain real foods. And that can cause all sorts of things, um, all the way to leaky gut, which can impact, you know, a whole slew of other issues. So, yeah. I think it's so important to test and not guess. Mm -hmm. And yes. even for someone like me that knows a lot about nutrition and is really in tune to my body, I mm -hmm. still don't want to really guess. And so just a couple months ago, I wasn't feeling that great. And I was like, okay, something is off. You know, I don't know exactly what's off. So I'm going to go get some lab work done. And I yes. did. And it was what I thought, like my cortisol was a mess from stress, you know, but I wanted to make sure that's what was going on so that I could focus on that in right. my healing. So yes, I so agree with you. Go test. Don't guess. 
But yeah. you've got to listen to your symptoms to know what to go tell the doctor. So yes. Let me ask you something else off of this subject, but I've been wanting to ask a pharmacist. There's a big debate out there about antibiotics. So what mm-hmm. is your take on antibiotics? My take is antibiotics are really good at their job and they're really great when you need them. Like I am so thankful that we have antibiotics available to us in our toolkit, right? Like they have saved so many lives from sepsis to really serious acute infections that people would die otherwise. And they help so many surgeries take place maybe that wouldn't happen otherwise. However, we chronically overuse them as, as a society so, so much. There's so many, oh gosh, how many is it? It's, there's 2.8 um, million antibiotic resistant infections yearly because we have created kind of like a super bug problem in wow. our world. Yeah. And we actually have, there's 47 million antibiotic courses prescribed every year for infections that don't need them. Oh my goodness. No, it's really alarming. I actually dedicated five years of my career on antibiotic stewardship because it is, because it is such a big deal because you have, it's kind of like a two layer. First one I'm talking about is we're creating like very resistant superbugs because we're overusing these way, way, way too much for viruses or even for bacterial infections that don't need antibiotics. So just because somebody has a bacterial infection doesn't mean you need antibiotics to heal from it. And so that's a common misconception. I think oftentimes people are like, oh, well, you know, if it's a virus, you don't need it, but if it's a bacteria, you do. So anyways, we are chronically overusing them. Actually today, 700,000 people die from drug resistant bacterial infections, but in the year 2050, it's expected that 10 million people will die every year from drug resistant superbugs. Wow. Um, if we keep using them the way we are, yeah, it's actually more um, people will die from like resistant superbugs than cancer. Oh my which goodness. Which is really astronomical because cancer is also skyrocketing. So there's that whole layer of it. But then, so that's kind of like the public health threat of it all. But then also as individuals, as human beings, what happens when we take antibiotics, um, we're obviously going to kill, quote, the bad guys, the bacteria that are giving you that cold that you just want to kick because <laughs> you want to go back to work or, you know, whatever it is. But we're also killing all the pathogenic bacteria in our gut or a lot of them. And those bacteria are like our BFFs <laughs> when it comes to our health, the bacteria in our gut. Um, and I know you talk about this a lot. They drive so many physiological processes you know, our nutrient supply, our vitamin production, our mood, that gut brain connection, allergies, there's literally not (laughs) like everything that you think of when it comes to health ties back to what our gut bacteria do for us. It's pretty wild. They, their genes outnumber our human genes by 10 to one. So when we take antibiotics and we wipe that out, it can have really devastating effects. Some people can manage, you know, one course, They can rebuild their gut, they can manage it well, and they can be fine. But unfortunately, in today's society, people tend to take them chronically. And ironically, the more we take them, the more you break all that down, um, including your immune system, uh, which is kind of ironic because, you know, as you know, our immune system, it's housed in our gut. And so when you take those antibiotics and you wipe out all the bacteria that are helping to, you know, create that immune system for us. You're wiping out the very thing that you need 
to beat the infection. Right. So I, you know, I like to say, you know, they're really great for when we truly need them, but oftentimes we really don't. And it kind of becomes that quick fix that leads to a lot of problems. Those are some crazy numbers. So why don't doctors just stop prescribing some of these? Does it fall on the doctors? Is that the problem? Because they're the ones prescribing them. Yeah. You know, I think it's a twofold opportunity personally. So a lot of patients just go in and they, they, they're like, I'm sick. I need it. I want it. And what happens is, and I worked with a lot of providers on this and they will prescribe them, even if they know the patient doesn't need them. Wow. Which I think is really. And so that was my job for five years to, <laughs> to stop that, that pattern. And they do this because they want patients to feel satisfied because they actually get many providers get reimbursed on patient satisfaction scores. So they might be prescribing an antibiotic or another drug, maybe, maybe an opioid, maybe other drug you might not need because they want you as the patient to feel satisfied. So I think that's a really unfortunate barrier to appropriate care because it's such a cool learning opportunity for a doctor to say, Hey, you know what? I get it. It's no fun having a cold, but here's what we can do. You know, take hot showers, eat, you know, drink broth, bone broth, warm soup, rest, eat real foods. Call me in a week. If you know, you're still in a terrible place, right? Like I'm still here for you. If you take antibiotics, actually, you're not only going to probably not get better because it's likely viral, but you're also going to maybe cause a whole slew of other problems. And let me tell you about those and you don't want those. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's such a learning opportunity, I think for both a patient and for people and for a provider to, to work together. But sadly, we're really just not there as a society and, and the system as a whole is super pharmaceutical centric. So people just kind of expect it. Yeah, it's too bad, actually. And I have talked to doctors before, and some have said, we just don't have time to educate them in the room when they're there. We've got 15 minutes, and we don't have time to say, okay, maybe not antibiotics. Let's do vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. You know, let's, they just don't have the time to educate. But where I wish maybe we'd educate is the pediatricians, because I know when I had younger kids and I wasn't on a health journey and didn't know about this, they would prescribe antibiotics anytime I brought a kid in with a hurting ear. Oh my gosh. And yes, and you know, 80% of ear infections resolve on their own. And oh, it just, it really breaks my heart when kids are on a lot of antibiotics as young children, because it can create a lot of long-term issues from a leaky gut, like allergies, developmental disorders, mood disorders. So when providers are kind of just prescribing that it, it can really impact a young child's life and it can impact their biome for the rest of their life. There's studies that show that, which is pretty wild, but you know, I personally, I'm like, I think there's time. I think there's ways I helped providers make cool little, like no RX pads where we would write down, like, you know, vitamin D, like you're saying all the supplements that you take, and here's a great smoothie kids love. And here's a soup kids love. And, you know, a warm compress in the ear. And this is something you can do for their ear. You can drop this in and help them feel like supported and the alternative. And I think that's where there's just not the education there. You know, like when I was presenting this to providers, that was not what they're used to hearing. So I think in my opinion, I think there is time. It's just not the culture. It's not the training. It's not what's on TV. And a lot of people just get desperate and they're like, just tell me what to do, doc. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Well, maybe the pendulum is swinging a little bit as we try to educate more parents because I feel like there's more people on social media, a lot of doctors, pharmacists, you know, all these different practitioners trying to teach people like, hey, there is a different method or a different choice. You don't have to go the antibiotic route. So hopefully the pendulum is swinging. Oh, it for sure is swinging. And I think the ones that do want to find that time, they're totally doing it. And and patients are flocking to those providers. They're loving that support. And yeah, I think the more educated we all become too, as, as patients and people, it helps the whole system in general, you know, so right. I love it. Okay. So let me ask you this though, about antibiotics. If someone is taking an antibiotic, because like you said, there are times that they are great, that they're a huge benefit. I know my husband got a staph infection once and they were life-saving for him. So but we don't take them every day for ear infections and things like that. But if someone does have to take an antibiotic, do you suggest taking a probiotic with it or after it or not necessarily? So probiotics are, I wouldn't say controversial. I would say for many people, they're very helpful. There are some studies that show that a lot of the the bacteria in it are not live anymore once it's been on the shelf and then hits your tummy. So I would just say, make sure to get a good one. When people are taking probiotics with antibiotic, obviously antibiotics going to be depleting a lot of what you're taking at the same time. So you're trying to keep that equilibrium, right? So I would definitely say after is a really important time because, you know, that's when you want to replenish what has been lost. But I always recommend, you know, okay, yes, find a good probiotic. But I truly believe that what we eat is even more powerful than taking a probiotic when it comes to restoring the gut. And here's why. So if you're sick and you are eating, you know, lots of sugary foods, lots of processed foods, you're literally just feeding the bad bacteria. Those bacteria thrive on processed foods and sugary foods. But when we eat real whole foods and we, when we eat something called soluble fiber found in veggies and potatoes, our body actually can't digest it. And what digests it is the good bacteria. So we get to, it's like, I love this so much because you can use food as medicine. And that is simply eating what I call and what many people call a prebiotic. So we can eat the food that feeds the good bacteria that you want to be growing more and more and more back into your gut. And there's so many studies on this ranging from like what's in pomegranate, what's in matcha tea. Those two superfoods actually feed a good bacteria that you can't even take a probiotic for. Like, you know, the creation and foods, they're just designed so amazing and they feed our gut. And so, you know, I say, you know, great, take a probiotic. But if you're looking at that month after you've had antibiotics, I did this because I had to take antibiotics last summer and I was not looking forward to that. Uh, Happened all of a sudden, I needed them. I was super thankful for them. Was in a very remote location. It's a long story, but all that to say, I did a really good job on eating tons of fruits and veggies and phytonutrients and prebiotic foods, which is like leeks, um, yicama, sweet potatoes, onions, garlic, and all of those foods are what replaced um, all that good bacteria in my gut because it fed them. So I actually didn't have any side effects from my antibiotics and I didn't even really take my probiotic that long. Cause I was like, wow, this whole food thing is really working. Um, so I always really empower people to not forget that because I think sometimes it's like, Oh, let's take the probiotic and move on with my life. But what we're putting in is like the number one thing that is going to impact your gut health and how your bacteria 
regrow and repopulate in your gut. Yeah, because if you're taking a probiotic and eating sugar and processed foods, it's like counteracting each other almost. I tell parents that a really easy prebiotic to feed your kids is an apple. And I love the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And I think it's because it's the prebiotics in the apple feeding your good bacteria so that your good bacteria can do all of its amazing benefits. I love it. And I tell people too, I love that, Carolyn, because I think sometimes it can get overwhelming. People can be like, oh, okay, well, which fruits and veggies are prebiotics and which ones? And I just say, you know what, if that's overwhelming, just eat a lot of fruits and veggies. If they're loaded with phytonutrients, which are prebiotics. And all of them, all of those cruciferous veggies, all the potatoes, they're going to help grow the good bacteria. So I love that apples. So simple. Right. So I have one more question about antibiotics for you. So I know some doctors give them as a preventative measure before a surgery. Is that okay? Not necessary? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. So surgeries are really surgery specific. So I couldn't say here today that they are, they aren't necessary for pre-surgery or post-surgery or even during surgery for certain ones, because it really depends on what the surgery is. And actually there's tons of evidence now that post-surgery antibiotics are not helpful. So a lot of providers are changing that the pre-surgery protocols are very specific. And I think it really does vary. So it whether it's, I mean, it could depend. Is it a heart surgery? Is it a dental implant? Is it brain? Is it, I mean, there's so many different types of surgeries that the protocols vary, but what I will say is the evidence is leaning towards less and less and less, but unfortunately as a system, it takes 17 years for a a policy to change a large policy. So I think it's going to be a while before we see those change. So yeah, it just varies. So definitely something to talk to your doctor and surgeon about before you have the surgery. Yes. Okay. So moving from antibiotics, I have another question for you. Just because I talk a lot about mental health, I was Mm -hmm. on antidepressants years ago. I know some of my followers follow me because of mental health issues. So as a pharmacist, when someone is on antidepressants, do they need to wean off of the antidepressants or can they just go cold turkey? I would recommend that people wean off of antidepressants. That's actually a class of drugs that it's highly recommended that you taper. So there are many drugs that you can just say, you know what, I'm going to stop taking my ibuprofen today and it's going to, and you'll be fine. Um, but when it comes to antidepressants, you do need to follow the taper recommendation from your provider. Otherwise it can really impact you mentally because of what happens in the brain when you take antidepressants. So those drugs are very powerful. As we know, um, they come with a whole slew. They can provide some benefit, but they can also provide some harm and some damage, especially if not taken appropriately or taken off (laughs) appropriately, I guess I should say. So I definitely wouldn't discourage people to get off of them. I think if people are ready and they're, you know, ready to make that change, I think that's great. Um, you just want to do it correctly. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I know some people get all motivated, like I'm going to get off of these and they just stop. And I'm like, no, you need to wean off of them. And for those listening, I actually took a whole year to wean off of mine. That's how slowly we went. And I was like bettering my health as I was slowly weaning off of the antidepressants. So for any of those listening, if you're on antidepressants, just know 
that you need to slowly taper them. And I'm assuming that's the case for a lot of anti-anxiety drugs as well. Yes. Anti-anxiety are a little bit different than antidepressants. Um, when it comes to this, they're a little bit more kind of what you would call short acting, but definitely you would want to be consulting with your provider. And I love your example that it took you a year. I think sometimes, including myself, we, we can get so impatient or all of a sudden something becomes so black and white to us. Like I've got to get off this or I've got to change that. And I think that, you know, you want to be working with a provider, especially for something like that, but also listening to your body. So, you know, if you go cold Turkey and you're having crazy thoughts or crazy symptoms, then you want to be listening to your body, talking with a provider as needed, whether it's antidepressants or anything, a lot of people on really powerful drugs, opioids, all sorts of things. And you want to be getting off of them if you can, um, and getting off them appropriately. Right. Right. I know some of those drugs, some of the anti- um, depressants can actually increase your suicidal thoughts if you go cold yeah. turkey. And I yes. know others like some of the opiates and stuff will create hallucinations and things afterwards. So it's really yeah. um, important to talk to your provider and work with them when you're ready to get off. Yes, absolutely. And always, always be listening to your body. And if something isn't right, then let somebody know always. For sure. Okay, so let's move on to more about healing. So we've talked about foods being um, full of prebiotics and beneficial in that way. Are there other nutrients that can support healing in these whole foods? Yes. I mean, whole foods are loaded with nutrients and vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients. So, I mean, a lot of people know kind of the common ones that are really supportive of healing, like foods rich in vitamin C, foods rich in vitamin A. And you're going to find, you know, those, of course, and lots of fruits and veggies, right? Um, and then lots of meats and fish, right, too. Those can be very, very healing for many, many people. Um, and I think, honestly, a lot of people aren't quite aware of that. A lot of people kind of focus on the healing properties of obviously eating real foods, salads, soups, vegetables. But <clears throat> there's a lot of nutrition in, in eggs and meats um, and salmon. So yeah, these foods, I, you know, I think that honestly, as a pharmacist and, you know, in my dream world, if we could all just be eating real food, I wonder how many people would not need their pharmaceuticals, right? Because I think the, the food industry that is just loaded with everything from food coloring to glyphosate to all these chemicals that we can't even pronounce, they're really changing our health and our body. Whereas the food from the earth I mean, we could talk all day about the healing nutrients in them, right? And the, those are what really fuel our body and give us that energy and that healing. So I totally agree with you on all of the whole foods. The whole foods just nourish our body. I know today gut health is sort of a trendy topic. So if people ask you like, where do I start to heal my gut? What do you mm -hmm. suggest to them? So on one hand, it can be thought of as very simple. And the fact that, you know, like we've talked about eating real food, that's going to feed the good bacteria, even things like sleeping more, reducing your stress. Those also help to our, help our gut heal. Our gut is truly like our second brain. So on one hand, when it comes to gut health, I think of it almost like our overall health, you know, are we moving our body that impacts our gut health exercise does, are we eating real food? Are we nourishing well? Are we resting? But also with gut health, it's very individual specific. 
So one person might have a gut issue that is not going to be resolved by just eating real food and exercising. Maybe they have an allergy, right? Or maybe they have an overgrowth of candida. So different people might have to go through the process. There's kind of a process um, for people. I don't know if you've ever heard of the five R's for gut healing. No, tell me what those are. Okay. So they're really great. So these are for people like everyone wants to focus on gut health, right? But if someone is like, okay, I know I have a gut issue. Um, they're probably going to want to work with a professional and the, the five R's for gut healing are remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair, and rebalance. And so the first one remove, you want to remove the stressor on the gut. So maybe it's like that person just eats tons of processed food, or maybe they eat tons of dairy and their body can't tolerate it. Or maybe their stressor is like an opportunistic bacteria that's causing wreaking havoc. So that's why I'm saying it's kind of very individual focused. So remove the stressor, replace. Some people actually do have to replace, whether it might be with probiotics, maybe with digestive enzymes. Some people need the digestive enzyme support for a while to help their their body with their digestive process after their gut has been kind of ravaged. Re-inoculate is what we've been talking about. So that's maybe a really good probiotic and especially the prebiotic bacteria to help those good bacteria grow. Repair is repairing that gut lining. So the gut lining is one cell thick and it's very delicate and its role is so important. So when it's broken and we get that leaky gut, it can cause all sorts of issues. But one way to help it repair is by taking L-glutamine, eating lots of omega-3s and taking zinc. So those are three simple ways to help that, um, that gut lining repair. And then lastly, rebalance. So once you've kind of, a person's been through that whole process and they kind of rebalance that gut with their lifestyle, like, okay, here's what I learned. Here's now how I'm going to live my life, keeping my gut health in mind and those good bacteria in mind. So, oh, I love, love those five R's. I've never heard <laughs> it like that before. So I'll have to remember that. So yeah. would you say things like collagen can also help repair the gut or not necessarily? You know, I know collagen, you know, we put collagen on our smoothies and we take it. I personally don't think collagen is like the answer for gut health. Personally, I don't think it's like, okay, I'm just going to start taking collagen and all of a sudden, like my skin's going to glow and my gut's going to just be healed. I think it is a healing tool. You know, it can help some people with their joints, with their gut, with their skin. But personally, I'm not like, that's not like my go-to of someone having gut health issues. I think I would turn more to, to lifestyle first than that. But if people want to try it, throw it on, see if it helps them totally that's fine. <laughs> Makes sense. It's one contributing factor maybe of many. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm interested to ask a pharmacist, do you like supplements and do you recommend that people take them daily or just like when they're getting sick or certain times of the year? What are your thoughts? Oh, that is a great question. So, you know, it's kind of funny in pharmacy school, I really learned that to be really cautious with like all supplements because, you know, they're not, not all of them are quote FDA approved. And over time, I've come to learn the value of very specific targeted supplements for people. I think that some people absolutely need them daily, right? Like you and I were saying, you want to test and know what you're supplementing for, um, rather than just being like, okay, you know, this gal on Instagram takes these 10 supplements every day. I am too. 
So yes, daily supplements for many people is really great. And maybe you don't need them for your whole life, but maybe, maybe you do, but I think many people don't, it can be part of like that, that healing journey. Like I actually know that I have some vitamin mineral deficiencies, so I'm going to be taking some supplements here in the future to get myself back into equilibrium and then try to carry that forward with my nutrition. (laughs) So that's just one example. And then I think, yes, I love, like if we get a cold, you know, going around in our house, actually, we have one right now, one of my sons, whenever that happens, we definitely take more supplements. Like it's like, okay, we're taking the vitamin C. We do vitamin A drops, vitamin D we're putting natural vitamin C in our smoothies. We're using that food as medicine. So, you know, I think supplements are a great way. Maybe if you don't don't want that course of antibiotics, but you have that like home medicine cabinet, um, which ours ranges from, you know, like tart cherry to essential oils to turmeric, right? They're so, they can be so healing. So we definitely kind of up the game when we're, when we're feeling sick. I agree 100% with everything you just said. We (laughs) supplement if someone's sick in the home and it's not something they take every single day unless they need it. Like I have a really hard time absorbing B vitamins. So that's probably a supplement I will have to take for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So it is all very individual based as well, but I love hearing that from a pharmacist. Yeah. And you know, I think what is not talked about, and I think I should talk about it more too, is people can actually cause just like a pharmaceutical can cause damage. One can do the same thing with over supplementing. So I think people can just be aware there's so much healing benefit there, but you also don't want to be like overdoing it. Um, if it's not targeted. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Are there any other tips that you want to share with the listeners? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I would just say after, you know, becoming a pharmacist and then getting involved with integrative health and real health and whole health, I would say there's so much power in what we do with our every day, like our every little choice that if you're feeling overwhelmed with health, if you're feeling overwhelmed with gut health or real food or movement, just to take those baby steps for you, for your own body. Um, what I find with so many of my followers and my friends and my community is it can feel overwhelming and I totally get it. So I always just tell people when it comes to toxins or making a change in what you're eating or you're working out, just take a baby step, like one baby step a week. And before you know it, a year later, you're going to be feeling so much better. Um, cause otherwise it can feel overwhelming, but just stepping into the simplicity of real foods of movement and taking those little steps can be so, so life-changing. I agree. Those little steps all add up to be big yes. changes. So I agree. Tell my listeners where they can find you. So I'm on Instagram at a whole health life. It's kind of a mouthful, <laughs> <laughs> the letter a, and then whole health life. That's because. I just love whole health. Like we're so beautifully connected, our whole being. And then I also have a website, a wholehealthlife.com. Great. And I love following you. So all those listeners go follow her. She is a great follow. I love all your little tips and suggestions and motivation. So thank you. And I always close my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? (laughs) Oh, I love that question. The first thing that pops into my mind is just the word gratitude. It's really helped me 
you know, not only just like every day is a gift, it's a gift from God that we get to live this life and breathe and be here, have a family, whatever, whatever you're grateful for, just stepping into that. And I think, you know, even when it applies to health, um, I'm kind of having some stuff I'm working through right now. I'm like, well, I'm so grateful that I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And I'm grateful that I have the tools and that I can, can dig deep into this. And so to me, gratitude changes everything when it comes to our journey here. So, yeah. I love that. I've really been trying to focus on gratitude and just being grateful even for the hard days because I'm grateful that it is a day that I get to live, you know? And so trying to find the gratitude in the hard and the bad and the good. So I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here today. Like I said, go follow Meg. She is such a great follow on Instagram and thank you so much. Yes, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to get to chat. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.